Set my clock so I can be obedient to the time. That was a beautiful worship. I'm still in that to worship you. I live. I want to share this morning a testimony that I have. Um, over the past couple of, many of you know, over the past couple of years, some traumatic things have happened. I've lost some loved ones near and dear to me, and some other things have, that seem like it should be joyful, and they are, but it can also be a traumatic change to your lifestyle, and that can affect your whole life, right? And so, um, and I'm, I'm sharing this because it's a perfect lead-in to today's message. Around last Sunday, I came and and something happened. A shift happened in my life. And I can't just come in and tell you that a shift happened without explaining to you how it happened, how it came to be. And then afterwards, the prayer, that the time that I had with God on after that time. So um, it started around COVID time when every, you know, everybody had to, um, shelter in place and everybody had to be distant from everybody, you know, pretty much stay at home and um, not, you know, gathering groups. And I got comfortable with that. I've always been a, a private person and I've always been comfortable in that quiet place. That That's my comfort zone, right? But little did I know in that time, a wall was being built. And that wall can become a barrier to getting back out once COVID was over, or it's not over, right? But when the pandemic is, you know, coming to, to an end, it's time to now get back out, right? It's time to get back into a place of worship. It's time to gather with friends and loved ones and like believers. And um, some days that was a struggle for me. And so last Sunday, I was in a place where I was worrying about getting the house clean and getting the kids' snacks ready for next week and all these things. All these things I had, you know, I'm like, I started to rationalize, well, you know, I'm just going to spend today getting rest or doing all these other things. And something said, Elena, get to church. Because I told myself, there's no way that I'm going to get any of this done within an hour to my satisfaction. It's not going to put me in a better position for next week. And if, if in the hour of the 10 o'clock hour to the 11 a.m. hour, right? So something said, drop everything and come to church. So I did. I came to church. And around about the finger trap example, and you had, to, you had to hear the message. If you haven't, please go online and, and read it. I promise it'll bless you too. So somewhere around the finger trap example, I started trembling because I felt the Spirit of God speaking to me. I'm pretty sure others have felt that too. But a shift, I knew that God was speaking to me, and a shift started to happen. 
And I realized, and I spent time later on with prayer and prayer about this, and I, I was like, people have spoken in life into me before. So why now all of, you know, some people don't have to ask why, but I don't know. In that moment, I had to ask God why. I had to, I had to go in. And he said he needed me to be where he was. Now, yes, you can meet God out in the street. You can meet God at home. But he needed me to be here where he appointed me to be. And as I, as I prayed with God and he started to speak to me, he said, Elena, you have the spirit of Martha. I said, spirit of Martha? I said, Martha and Mary. So I went back and I read about Martha and Mary, right? And, and when he came to their house, Martha was so busy making sure everything was perfect and making sure the tables were set and food was made and all of these things. And Mary was just like, ready at Jesus' feet, right? That makes sense because she had the way, the life right there in front of her. So why wouldn't she, you know, like, why would, like if, if we told y'all Jesus was going to be here and you actually believed it, <laughs> the, 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 they would have to shut down Chapel Hill because lines and crowds of people would be here, right, ready to receive. And so I said, okay, God, you're right. It wasn't until I put down all these things that I was trying to, I was so busy trying to make things happen that he needed me to be right here, literally. And that was in, in Pastor Joel's message. Like, sometimes you got to literally come and sit and be still and hear from God. And it also brought to my, um, my remembrance of Hebrews 14, and 15. It says, let, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Let, the word let, it, it denotes permission, right? So God, Jesus has already made the invitation, but I had to give myself permission to just drop everything and get to church. I like the version that says come because it's present tense. It's not just now, it's, it's come, come now, right? No matter when it's said, it's come. And boldly means confidence and it has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with what Jesus did for us and we're gonna talk about that in just a minute into the throne of grace. That means he, he understands what we're going through. He understands every pain that we have, everything that we suffer. To obtain mercy, and that's what we desperately need. We need mercy in that time, right? And to find grace and, and, to, and help in the time of need. And so that's where I was. And I hope... I share that to encourage other people that may be feeling that, that same way. It, it may be for some reason you may have a barrier getting back to God, wherever that is for you, whether it's here or wherever. I pray with you today that you will just keep coming. And you might not even fully believe. You might, you might still, you might be on the fence about it. And you, you, 
I'm not all in yet, maybe, but keep coming and let God chisel away at that wall that may be hindering you. There's something that happens special in corporate worship. And when I mean, when I say corporate, I mean gathering of saints. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I wasn't gathered intentionally at home because it was only me at home. But there were already people here by the time I got here who had gathered intentionally. They were already praying. And the Spirit of God was already moving in this space. So as I move into Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, Isaiah paints a picture, and and I won't go too much into the background because um, Pastor Joel did such an elegant job of setting the theme for this, and I won't have time to go too deep into the background. But Isaiah paints a picture of a servant who would come as a humble person, not as a mighty warrior, as, as people might expect, right? People might expect, at that, at that time, people might expect it, that, that the Savior, right? The, the, the person who comes to save us all and make us right with God, like our relationship right with God, might be some king, some strong warrior person, but God in his and his intentions and his um, classic way of challenging our worldly thinking, right? He comes, he sends someone who is humble. And not only is that person humble, but they come and he will pour out punishment on this individual for all of our sins. And not only our sin, but sin itself. And he says that this person will be rejected by the world. So we see that centuries later, this would come to pass. And you can go and see Luke 22, 33 through 36 to 38, where it clearly unfolds. Now, this is a very controversial um, chapter because a lot of people would say that it's not Jesus, it's, it's someone else or it's a prophet before Jesus. But if you clear, if you read through the, if you read through Luke and I'll give you some more scriptures a little bit later, you can clearly see that this is Jesus, the suffering servant. So it lays out God's perfect plan for our salvation. And this happened long before Jesus was, um, was, had come into the earth. And it, it, the prophecy was so um, ambiguous that it concealed the true intent so well that even the devil didn't see it coming. So I'll start reading in Isaiah 52 because that's really where it starts. In verse 13, it says, See my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. 
Just as they were, there were many who appalled him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Remember, that's a lot like he appeared after he was crucified on the cross. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. So it will be abundantly clear, and it was for many people who didn't believe initially when Jesus came and he was crucified and then he rose again. It, it became clear to all of these people, not just his followers. In Isaiah 53, it says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So at this time, remember at this time, these writings were, the, this was actually presented after Isaiah's death. But at the time he wrote them, the people really, everything was good. And so they had no reason to really believe. They, you know, they kind of rejected what he had previously said, his prophecies, until they started coming true. So this is at, and then this is presented at a time where, okay, they started seeing some of the things, but he wrote this before they believed. And some still don't believe today. In verse two, it says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. So a root out of dry ground, it doesn't really look like it could bear much fruit, right? Um, I had a, a garden where one year where I had planted some tomato plants. And unfortunately that year it was very dry to the way the ground had started cracking. And so the tomato uh, vine was no bigger than a straw. So it didn't look like very much, right? It wasn't very appealing to the eye. There was nothing distinctive that told me that was going to bear fruit. So if you remember in Luke 4, 14 and verse um, 4, verses 14 through 30, Jesus was re rejected in Nazareth, right? He was rejected in his own town. And he said to the people, he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet will be accepted in his own town, in his own home. And in Matthew 13, 55 and 57, it says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't, his, aren't all his sisters with us? And in the scripture it says that he, they took offense to him. And so that, that reflects that he was, he was rejected. He wasn't, he wasn't accepted. His word wasn't accepted by the people, right? And it says, I can't think of... There's, okay, so there's, um, I want to mention, remember Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, right? 
So Jesus understood the importance of sowing seed on good ground. And I can't think of a better, uh, a better father that God would pick. I think he picked a carpenter intentionally because who knows better than build, about building and building on a strong, and the importance of building on a, fa- a strong foundation other than a carpenter, right? And later on we see Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you that, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus understood that he needed a strong foundation to build his church because the, the word says that heaven and earth will pass away, but the one thing that will remain is his word. It said he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. People might think that the savior would be a well-known warrior or a king or something like that, but it said Jesus was not that he wasn't he was, he wasn't anything to to the people of that time anything he wouldn't be anything extraordinary no with nothing to set him apart to make people to draw people to him other than what he did which was die for us right that he became a sacrifice for us and he was despised and rejected by mankind a man suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from people from whom people would hide their faces, he was despised and we held him with low esteem. And in verse four it says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. So there again, he took on, he who was sinless took on our sins. And not only our sins, but sin itself. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. So everything that he went through, every torture that he went through was specific for our purpose, for his purpose. It's, it, every torture had a specific purpose. It says for our transgressions, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And that was also repeated again in the New Testament. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So not just the Christian community, not just the people of that day, for us all, everybody. 
I'm going to skip down. It says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And sheep before its shearers is silent. He did not open his mouth. So they led him to the cross to murder him, right? And so they thought that they were killing him because they were upset because he said that he was the authority on forgiving sins. And they were, that upset them. Once again, that brought them offense. And they despised him for it, so much so that they said, kill him. But it has a double meaning. So once they thought that they were killing a false prophet, but in all actuality, they were helping to bring to fruition God's plan. It sounds a lot like a sacrifice, doesn't it? He led the lamb, which in actuality it was. It was he was the lamb. He was the sacrifice for us. And he suffered greatly. Many of us, it says he could identify he who was familiar with suffering, right? And many of us can identify with Jesus, right? Because if we are to walk with him, if we are to follow him, we too will experience some degree of suffering in our walk, in our lives, right? So a lot of times we like to ask ourselves, why? Why us? But if we're following Jesus, it will come to us as as well. By his knowledge, my my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out light his life unto death and was numbered with transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. That's powerful. He bore the sin of many. Again, he who was sinless. And this was unheard of because, this, again, that's another challenge that God gave us because who would have thought that, that this humble person would come and that he would have to suffer this way? He wouldn't, like, come and just conquer the kingdom and all of a sudden we're all good and we're right with God, but to come and, and have to endure this amount of pain, this amount of humiliation for us. He suffered in our place. And he's interceding. He interceded on our behalf, and he's still interceding on our behalf. And the New Testament scriptures I want to leave you with is Matthew 8, verse 14 through 17. John 12, 37 through 41, Luke 
22, 36 through 38. And as I close and we move into communion, one thing I want us to ponder, when presented with suffering, what is your go-to? What is our go-to? We have many things that we could go to. In the beginning, um, when Jesus uh, was talking to Mary, he said, I want to make sure I get it right. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. That one thing is his word and his promises to us. Where will you turn to in your time of need? What does that look like for you? And if you're not all in, keep coming. Keep praying. Keep connecting. And let God come into your space, let God come into your heart, let his word pierce your heart. Amen. The suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ is demonstrated before us week in and week out as we come to this table. The one who is the suffering servant to come on our behalf to be persecuted, to be pierced for our transgressions. Friends, it's demonstrated for us in the breaking of his body. The bread broken as a representation of his body broken on our behalf. His suffering on our behalf. And in the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood, his blood poured out for our forgiveness that while we were yet sinners, Jesus would die for us. God himself in the flesh would come to take on our transgressions. And so when Elena started today, that if we spread the news that Jesus is here to meet with you, the line would be out the door. Well, y'all, Jesus is here to meet with you and me. Wherever you are today on that journey, he's inviting you to his table. The table set for you, for redemption for the wholeness of your life, whatever the broken places are that you are experiencing right now, whatever transgressions you feel are separating you from where you need to be. God is already there and he's here to take the next step with you. So we invite you into that next step today that as you come forward, we're going to come down this side, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Prince, his body and his blood 
as you take it and you taste and see the goodness of God poured out for you. I'm going to be right over here on the other side of this speaker just to pray. If there is something that I can enter into that space with you to pray, whether that is brokenness, whether that is a need for healing, whatever it may be today, I invite you to just, just stop. And if, if you need space, you can have a seat on the front row and we'll, we'll take that time to pray. Let the Lord meet you today because he's here. Jesus is here to meet with you. So friends, come to the table. Taste and see that the Lord is good.